Hi, welcome to Radical Love Live. It's Mark Delcom. I've got my co-creator, Kelly Wilson, here. Hi. What are we going to talk about today? Today, we're going to talk about being churched or mm. unchurched and the reasons why some people are unchurched, including people who have had painful experiences in church. Right. Maybe this is jumping off a little bit of the conversation we had a couple of weeks ago when we talked about my point of view on inner spirituality and how I got to that, how I got hurt in church, and I'm not the only one. So this is probably a good timely topic for us to pick up on. I've spent some time reading through some data from the Barna organization. Oh. They do a lot of research around religion and culture, mm -hmm. and they've done some research about a group that they call unchurched. Why don't you, for everybody listening, define what is churched? And what is unchurched? It's funny that in this data set, churched and unchurched are separate from belief structures, so that there are people who are believers and non-believers, okay. and that doesn't necessarily correspond with whether they are in a church or not in a church. So there are people who are churched, and there are people who are unchurched, and the people who are unchurched, some of them do still claim a Christian faith, and some of them don't. As I was sharing with you before we started uh, recording, I have a bit of an issue with the word unchurched, because it, to me, it feels like it's talking down to or less than, but maybe I'm reading way too much into the word. People who are writing about this and doing research about this tend to be people who care a lot about faith and probably have some grounding in orthodoxy. So it's, it's possible that unchurched in some venues does have some of that weight to it. Okay. You know, a lot of the writings about this are trying to say, well, how can we reform this so that people come back into church? Yeah, it seems like that's uh, the $64,000 question for everybody is how are you going to get people back in, right? Among unchurched in the United States in this study, 61% of them still claim to have a Christian faith. So there are people out there who say, I believe, but I don't go to church. 61% say they still have a belief, but don't go to church. Right. And that's within the United States where uh -huh, uh -huh. people professing their own faith in Christianity is still the majority religion, yeah. even though people think that there's a war on Christmas, but that's different. Uh, <laughs> that's for another podcast, folks. <laughs> yes, it is. But one of the interesting things in this study, and I think there's a correspondence between why there are a bunch of people who say that they're Christian but don't go to church. 37% of the people who are unchurched say that they avoid church because of negative past experience in churches or with church people. So that's more than a third hmm. of the people who don't go to church were hurt or marginalized yeah. or somehow had a bad experience with church and church people. Yeah, that's mine. It's interesting that there are a number of articles that picked up this data and have different spin on it. And one of them was saying that this is an opportunity to then turn around and forgive, <laughs> which to me sounded like sending somebody back into an abusive relationship yeah, rather than... That's how I would take that. Right, yeah. right. You know, I love church. I love going to my church. I go to other towns and I look for mm -hmm. churches. But I don't think that that means that I have to close my eyes to the fact that there are some churches where there are hurtful things going on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I read some of that same research and uh, I saw that they had cloaked it in that's the ultimate of the uh, Jesus story, right? He forgives for everything was done to him. And that if we are a part of the body of Christ and we are to emulate Christ in that sense, then we forgive those who even do harm to us. 
That's that's a pretty tall order, don't you think? Yes, yes. yes. Using the story of Jesus in that way oh. is abusive to the scripture. <laughs> I think it is too. And, and because, yeah. depending on your theology, you may look at Jesus's sacrifice as having a redemptive value yep. or showing a victory over death. Or I mean, there's a number of different ways yeah. to do that. But although he was characterized as meekly and humbly Mm -hmm. facing his fate. It was after he had gone around for years preaching about exalting the poor and changing the power structures and how difficult it was for the rich to get into heaven and calling out the Pharisees and uh, throwing over the tables in the temple. He did not have a problem calling out injustice when he saw it. Exactly. Uh, Look at the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes and what he said inside that. That's really powerful. And it's Mm -hmm. Not easy to follow, but he spells out what he saw and believed that we're called to be as part of the body of Christ. But using the the example of Jesus to say, if somebody hurts you, you should simply forgive them (laughs) without calling out injustice or calling out what's a problem. And there are some problems within churches that we've seen in the media that are really, really obvious. If there's abuse going on, if there's oppression going on. Those are really clear injustices. So for example, not to pick on any one denomination, but if there is some kind of abuse of somebody in a position of clergy against one of their parishioners, Mm -hmm. do you feel that there's any obligation of that person who was abused to forgive? I'm not really in the business of going around and telling people who are victims that they're obliged to do anything. If somebody has a revelation or there's some kind of movement of their spirit that says that they want to do that, I believe that that's a healing moment for them because carrying around resentment it's the whole idea of it's like drinking poison and expecting oh, somebody else to die. Absolutely. Uh, Heard that but, in the rooms of a certain 12-step program more than once. But I'm not the one to go around and tell people that they need to do that. When we're talking about this topic of unchurched and why people are post-Christian or there's so many different terms that are used to explain somebody who might have a belief system, but yet they want nothing to do with the church. Some could be like me. They go so far as to even claim that they're atheists just because they hated the notion of what God was or what was represented to them. And that's part of my story and then you know how I came back through through it in a very non-typical way. The point I'm getting at that is listeners could relate to how they have been hurt and still may be a part of the church or they're marginalized and they step away from church. I don't think there is an expectation or an obligation that somebody should forgive the other person. But I guess there's really a message that we're dealing with humans here, right? I mean, church itself is a human-made structure. It's given a lot of importance, and it's easy to lose track of this being, you know, this is a framework that helps some people stay in a community and in fellowship, which helps them learn or keeps them connected to their faith. But it's not the end all be all. The, The message of the gospel is not thou shalt stay forever in church. You know, preachers are are exalted and and maybe shouldn't be. There are a lot of really wonderful ministers in the world, but there are also some whom that power has corrupted in some way, and they should be called out. What is our message to those folks who would be listening to this conversation right now? There's a couple layers to it. The church kind of started as a gathering of like-minded believers. There was no no building. There was no bishops and clergy and popes and chalices and, and all that. Once we get into these fancy buildings and, you know, guys in suits or robes and, you know, they're mostly guys uh, standing up in front of everybody and it starts to become very important. If people feel like they can't get out of that 
to remember that we're not obliged to stay in a church or that church can be something that we make it. It's kind of like, you know, recently I was reading online you know, people talking about the holidays and not always being able to get along with their families. Right. And uh, there were a number of reminders of people reminding one another that family isn't just your biological family, it's what you make it. Mm-hmm. That people f- who have strained relationships with their families end up kind of making a family of their own among their friends and, and like-minded people. Yep. And I think that a spiritual gathering is the same way. It's not like going down to, you know, some official building somewhere where, Mm -hmm. you know, this is is the official licensed church. You can only go there. So that's a great example, right? Mm -hmm. So I have celebrated Thanksgiving both with family and with friends. And Mm -hmm. when it's with friends, it is a community by choice. And there's a certain bond that can happen in that, whether it's new friends or friends you've known for years. But it's by choice as opposed to what our family might be, which is mm, not by choice. Mm-hmm. Church, it seems like it is – in church beyond just a Christian tradition, I think it's any kind of you know, religious foundation where people get together within a community – there's a lack of freedom that if I don't believe or I'm not feeling comfortable, if I'm not feeling at home, I'm obligated to stay in this even if it hurts. Mm-hmm. Where I'm going with that is it's really to this point of why so many people are falling out of church is because they don't know that they they can leave by their own choice and not feel bad about it. Like if I make a conscious choice on Thanksgiving that, you know what, for whatever, and this is not my story, but if... Let's say I don't want to spend uh, the holidays with my family. Instead, right. I'm going to spend it with uh, with my friends. I did that openly, right? You know, the guilt that I would have for that or the potential shame of, of making that choice is probably a lot less than what it would be if instead if I was doing this inside a religious institution. Like, oh, my gosh, if I don't participate in this church structure or this community that is hurting me and I don't feel at home, is there a certain level of being disempowered or you don't have a choice? Is that your experience? My experience is that I always wanted to be able to say more in okay. churches. There's a, a song that I listen to every once in a while. Um, on the, It's a contemporary Christian song called Stained Glass Masquerade. Okay. And it's about this kind of parade of going to church and trying to look good and to seem like everything's kind of good all the time and I'm blessed and things are going well and I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> But everything's going okay with me. Mm-hmm. And to me, that always seemed backwards because of the kind of people that Jesus invites and the kind of people who are the most in need of any kind of spiritual connection inside church or outside church, that what we need is not going to pretend like we are something that we're not, is we need a place that's open where we can go and be whoever we are right, right now. Yes. So it seemed to me that, um, you know, I can remember kind of getting in trouble in Sunday school and wanting to kind of break through because, you know, we were a bunch of teenagers sitting around and the teachers talking about all the bad things and the, the world of temptations. And I remember looking around and saying, can we talk about who all is really doing this here? I mean, we're all sitting around pretending like this is a lesson that we've just learned today. Mm. This would be a lot more useful conversation if we actually all started talking about what we're really doing in our lives. And everybody was – they were ready to kick me out of the room. Ooh. Like, you can't come to church and be honest. <laughs> You have to be biased, not honest. Right. (laughs) Check your honesty at the door, please. And I don't know if that counts as these painful experiences that people 
talk about because mm-hmm. I, I don't want to diminish some no, of the actual things that are. happened. It's just, but the, not being able to tell the truth, not being able to be real, not be able to talk about the things that need healing or the things that are difficult. Those are the things that made it uncomfortable for me. Well, there's a reason why I'm asking this because, yeah, you have your experiences and they are unique to you, just like what mine are to me. And some do get hurt more than others. Unfortunately, this goes back to my story where it was that and so many others who through a message that they heard or something that was said to them that is biblical or is a part of the Christ story or whatever faith tradition that, Mm -hmm. you know, you are either godly or you're not because a lot of the binary is applied, especially when it comes to stuff like this. It's like, oh, there's not a lot of gray there. Actually, this is what people start whipping out the uh, the scriptures and saying, well, this is according to this, you know, you've got a problem here. And yet some will still claim, in fact, what did you say, 61% will still say that they maintain some belief system, you know, they yeah, love that the they, church. Yeah, 60, 61% yeah. of the unchurched say that they're Christian. Yeah, they're still Christian. So what does the future hold for them? Where do they go for community? You know, technology offers a lot. Social media allows people who are like-minded who may be in very different geographies. Yeah to get together in ways that they never would otherwise. Right. Living in a really big city, I'm, I'm lucky in some ways. You can find a lot of kind of niche yeah, that's groups true. in yep. a big city. We do have that luxury. But if you're in a rural area or something, you yeah. may have a harder time finding a lot of people right. that are like-minded. I wonder if that, how, how does that help with the healing? You know, one of my things is I'm very passionate about is uh, the hurt, the deep hurt that people experience. Mm-hmm. And they may never get past that, right? It's it's an open wound that's with them forever. And that bothers me. Um, and where's that community that can happen? Maybe it is through social media, but I think it's a little bit more tactile than that. There's something to be said about having face-to-face conversation in a sacred space. And I mean sacred in that it is, it's an honest space. It, it's one that's trusting and where it gives people opportunity to actually share their story with another person who can understand where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. And I would like to think that healing comes from that. In fact, that's my own story, right? I've done it through another tradition, but I, I see the need for that. I just don't know how it looks exactly, but I'm not the only person that has healed through a non-traditional format, but it was part of that that sacred space in which that happened, you know, and, and sharing in a, in a reserve space that I felt safe that I could talk about what had happened. Right, right. Having two-way dialogue is a way of healing. You know, there were some really scary theologies that I learned Mm. that would keep me up at night or invade my dreams and stuff that I had to really unlearn and unpack later on. Right. Did you do this by yourself or with the help of another? It was both, that there were touch points along the way. There were really important people along the way that would do things that would kind of shake me out of my own thinking. And then I would spend a period in the wilderness studying things on my own and then kind of come back and... Hmm. And occasionally I need to get knocked off balance that way because I'll get stuck. You just mentioned wilderness. Is yes. wilderness a bad thing? I don't think so. I have to agree. I don't, I'm not sure it is. And folks, very much listening to this, you know, having been out in the wilderness, we think that might be bad or there might be some kind of negative connotation to it. It's uncomfortable. It's deeply uncomfortable. Unsure. It's like looking through the glass darkly. Yes, yes. And you know, there can be deconstruction that goes on yeah. there. You can lose sacred ideas. You can lose your sacred image of yourself to go back to that kind of masquerade. It's very difficult. It's very difficult for me sometimes I look at myself because I, I, you know, I want to have a certain persona of you know, having it all together. Mm-hmm. In the wilderness, 
there's really nobody <laughs> but you. And it's like, okay, I'm stuck with you know the worst roommate there is. I know all your bad habits. <laughs> yeah, this is true. If we have just a little iota of self-awareness there, it's like, oh, yeah, I do that. Yeah. And you know, the only thing that gets me through that is to laugh at myself. Mm. There's a lot to be said about humor. Yeah. You know, those thoughts that people talk about when they wake up in the middle of the night, they're like, oh, why did I do that stupid thing? Or, yeah. you know, and it can't, it's not just necessarily the stupid thing today. It could be right. the stupid thing 20 years ago. I know, right? Right. It's like, why did I say that to oh, that guy? Oh, wow. Yeah. That is a human condition that <laughs> I, I, I too suffer. I can ruminate about something that happened ages and a day ago, and it feels still very visceral. Right. What is that? What is that? Why do we, why, why do we have that? It's perfection. It's that wanting to be clean, wanting to know that we're above reproach. I don't think any of those things are really possible. So I think the only thing, the only thing I can do is to try to laugh and, <laughs> and hope that I think God laughs with me. It's like, yes, right. you beautiful mess. We're going to get through this together. Isn't that true? Is there any, is there anybody that's ever not been a hot mess some point in their life? <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe there are. I mean, no. there are people that are closer to understanding it or knowing it mm. than yeah. others. Yeah, you do come out of the other side. You know, I like get back on my life and through the ups and downs and twists and turns and all that fun stuff that's happened in the course of my life. And I'm less of a hot mess today than what I think I was in the past. But, you know, there's moments where I'm not so perfect. I am, <laughs> I wake up not perfect. Yeah, right. Well, I feel like with the technology that we have now that it's gotten even worse that we own a brand. And this goes back to that whole, you know, having an image of perfection is that you're this intangible thing of what does my Instagram feed look like? What persona does it reflect? What wise, witty things am I saying on Facebook or Twitter or? It's a very curated perspective of uh, what we see as our perfection. Now, I look back on my own life, and I think I was certainly victim to perfection. Well, I, I still am, as a, you know, even as a creative person, that my pursuit of perfection sometimes will make me revise a piece of writing 20 times more when I should have actually just sent, mm. it, sent it out into the world when it was imperfect, because it's never going to be perfect. <laughs> and I guess our lives are the same way. You can stay inside and keep trying to revise it until you finally get out there. Right. So let's go back to the church thing. Okay. Again, people that are still in church that might be hurt mm-hmm. and hurting. Mm-hmm. They don't know where to turn. There are the people who say enough already and walk away. Mm-hmm. And then there are those who have never experienced church mm-hmm. as what maybe what you and I have seen, but they look from the outside in and go, that's just a big gooey mess and hypocrisy. Right. Right. There's a whole bunch of that. So again, what does this look like for moving forward? How does... How does church as we know it in a community address these concerns? And then we're not going to answer it today, but do you see hope? I think it's in thinking about our expectations of things. Churches and religious institutions, if they think less in terms of growing numbers or keeping people in the seats and more about service and meaning, I think that will direct their mission. But I also think for people either in churches or outside of churches to remember that church isn't a requirement. It's a structure that people created so that we could have fellowship, so that we could get together and think about things in a like-minded way. Mm-hmm. There are ways to have community and meaningful dialogue outside of that. I mean, right. there, there are people who create communities right. that are 
sacred in their own ways. So is that what we're trying to do, a radical love live with the uh, live events? Yeah, I mean, it's creating that space. Yeah. I mean, the people who come will make it what they make it. That's what a community does. I and mean, we're, we're creating the space and seeing what happens within that space. Mm. That's nice. Are there any rules? Not that I know of. Wow. Show up at 7 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Sunday, January 26th. <laughs> um, so what would you say to those who are still in a church and are hurting? I think the the biggest thing that I would say is that if you're in a space where you're hurting, where there are people that are hurting you, that there are teachings that are hurting you, there's something that makes you uncomfortable or scared, that you don't have to stay in that space. There's no obligation to stay in that space. God is not making you stay in that space. This is not building character through adversity. It's not (laughs) trying to fix the space or fix the church at your own expense. Loving your neighbor as yourself assumes that you love yourself. Yes. And that you would give yourself that same level of of self-care. Yeah that you would give to someone else. So I just ask yeah. people to care for themselves by removing themselves from harm if they can. And if there is some kind of relationship, a, a family relationship, or or some reason why they can't get out of that space, to know that, that there's no shame in that as well. Right. And know that you're loved, that there are people in the world that you can turn to. Just to finish on that note, uh, the great commandment that you just mentioned, that's what I try to live through, to love God with all of my heart, but also love my neighbor as much as I love myself. And it's that last part that's often forgotten, that it's a part of that self-care you just mentioned, that we are called to love ourselves as much and then then our neighbors. And when we do that, that becomes a mutually fulfilling part of that. If you can feel love for yourself, you're going to feel love for your neighbor. But if you can't feel love inside yourself, you're never going to feel it for your neighbor. So Sunday, January 26th is going to be our first live event at the Cathedral Church of St. John the Divine, New York City on Amsterdam and 110th Street, that big, big church up on the hill um, by Columbia University. Come join Kelly and me where we're going to have that live event. And again, Sunday, January 26th at 7 p.m. Uh, also, don't forget to check out our, our website at radicallove.live, and you can find the other podcast. And we're also out there on a lot of uh, different uh, podcast platforms as well, right, Kelly? That's right. We are on Apple and also on Spotify and more platforms coming soon. Yeah, that's great. Okay. All right. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you.